Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Praise the Lord. All righty. Well, open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 8. Genesis, chapter 8. I didn't have the luxury of going to preacher school, so I couldn't learn what they wanted me to learn so I could unlearn what was wrong. Uh, and, and so I only have my own experience to go on in meeting with the Holy Spirit. But the message I'm going to teach over most of the summer is, is the first message that I ever had a, a connection, a living connection with. And what they, what they teach you in preacher's books is that you should teach things that you know are true, that you're emotionally connected to, and that you're living. And this is the first thing that God taught me in, in leading, leading me into ministry. My wife and I got saved uh, uh, early on in, in our marriage, but we weren't saved when we got married. And uh, he, through a set of circumstances, he, he led us to an area. Uh, we hired an employee that was a, a, a closet Pentecostal. He got fired from his church um, because he, he got caught praying in tongues. And, and I thought that was kind of bad. And I hired him because um, he had to be honest because he was a pastor. And, and I didn't really know what we were in for. And he, he was instrumental in, in leading us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and from that moment on, God began to deal with us about being called into ministry. And the reason I'm telling you a long story trying to get you connected is for us, for me, this was the first thing that God taught me uh, about him. And so I want to show that to you in Genesis chapter 8. Let me give you the context. If you read the first eight chapters, you'll see, you'll see uh, uh, creation and all those things. And, and you know, he, he who had he who had he, you know, you get all those people uh, involved in the bagats if you're a King James guy. And then you come to the flood where, where God said, oops, we need to reset. And, and uh, Noah and his family. And that's the context here. We're right after that. So if you would, please just look at Genesis chapter 8 and look with me at verse 20 and following. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Now I want you to underline this in your Bible or write it down, take a note. But it says, then the Lord said in his heart. Now after we have the flood and there's this unceremonious drowning of everything that existed except for the things that were on the ark. The things that were saved through the provision of God. God told uh, Noah to build an ark. It took Noah around 125 years to build it. He gave, him, he gave him very specific understanding. And through that salvation provision, God saved Noah and his family and animals according to the instruction of the Lord. I want you to see that, that the Lord said in his heart, this was his plan. And I don't know how man knew that. I don't know how Moses knew that to write this down. But I find it interesting that he says here that the Lord said in his heart. I want you to see how close this is to the heart of God. Contextually, he instructed Noah, Noah's family, called pairs of animals to come and shut the door on them. He literally provided the instruction and the vehicle 
to save these fam- these, this family and these animals through the flood that was essentially a judgment upon the earth. And then it is reported that he said in his heart. Now notice what he said. He said, I will never again curse the ground. And literally means I won't do anything more than what's already done. Notice that he said, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. Now, I don't again know how they got God's opinion like this, but I want you to pay attention to this because this is how God talked about the restart. So if you're not born again, you haven't had your restart yet. You haven't found your ark, literally the, the, the body of your Savior, Jesus Christ, is your ark. You're saved through the work that God did through Jesus. That's a, that's a type and a shadow of the boat. And he said, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. He said, I'm not, you're going to have to live with the consequences of sin, but I'm not going to curse it. It's important that you see that <coughs> because he ties that to the imagination of man's heart. Notice what it says again. I'll never curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of, 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 of man's heart is evil from his youth. He said, listen, I need to change this because you people will take things in your own hands. Now, I want to show you what he thought you would take in your own hands. Are you ready? Verse 22. While the earth remains. Does the earth remain? We're all in the same boat. Seed time and harvest. Cold and heat. Winter and summer. Day and night shall not cease. Now, let me take you through a little practice here. How many of you knew... That yesterday you went through a daytime cycle and a nighttime cycle. Did y'all do that? Any of you like me wake up in the middle of night and realize it's still dark out? Right? And for me this morning was about, it was about 4.15. And I thought God doesn't want anything from me at 4.15. That's what I thought. Okay? And you know, I knew I had a church service coming. I could have got up at 4.15 and prayed for all you. And I laid there for just a little bit, you know, asking God if he'd please leave me alone. And it was dark outside. And I just want you to know there are times where I take things into my own understanding. I wished that daytime sometimes lasted longer. Sometimes I wished I could last longer asleep in the dark time. I'd love to take things in my own hand. In fact, if you watch the news and and television, they will tell you these magic pills will make your nighttime go better. The world will step on what God said is never going to cease. He said cold and heat. How many of you got to the place this last winter where you complained about cold? Oh man, it's so cold. I can't wait. For spring, when the flowers come up. You know, people always wait for spring, but nobody says, please let it be August 1st and let it be 100 degrees. I love it when it's 100 degrees. 
I don't love it when it's 100 degrees. I would honestly like to live where it's 72 degrees year-round. Okay, I knew, see, I knew I could get you all. Let me tell you what happens when it's 72 degrees year-round. There are more creepy crawlers than you'll ever want to deal with in your life. Because that's where all the nuisance stuff lives, is in the 72 degrees. How many of you have ever caught yourself complaining over cold and heat? He said winter and summer. How many of you, you know that the people's favorite seasons are fall and spring. Do you see it? But he said winter and summer. What did he say? Cold as heck, hot as heck. (laughs) Going to keep happening. Here's my point. This is what God said immediately upon reestablishing how the earth was going to work. And we want to take those things in our hand. If, you know, I don't care if you do this, but in fact, I, I bet we probably got uh, Bob and, and, and uh, Barb uh, Ingalls, thank you, watching in, in, in uh, uh, Arizona right now. And they're snowbirds. When it gets too cold up here, she gets in her car, he gets in his airplane. <laughs> and they go to Arizona where it's 72 degrees. <laughs> Why? Because we can. Say, if you retire, you can do that. Winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. Notice that God promised that none of these things in the restructuring and the reorganizing of how the world was going to work after the flood, these things will never cease. Look at the first thing that he said. He said, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest. You cannot stop winter and summer. You cannot stop day and night. You cannot stop these things, including seed time and harvest. You cannot stop these things. I don't care what you think. You cannot stop. God promised those things. And the only thing that we have any influence on in this is what we plant. Do you see it? Okay, so over the next several months or however long it takes for me to get through this, we're going to talk about as long as there's dirt, seed time and harvest shall not cease. Complaining needs to be replaced by consideration and cooperation. Some of you are harvesting what you didn't actually mean to plant. But he said this will never cease. And so we're going to take a few weeks probably just to really drill down on this thing and show you how God gives you what to plant and he gives it into your hand and you have an option. In some cases, we'll look at it in the weeks to come, we see that some people will be given a seed by God and they'll eat it. If you eat your seed, you cannot have a harvest. You'll have to process the seed time and harvest. And I want to separate seed and time for just a second because I don't want you to misinterpret this. Seed time not only represents when you plant, but it also represents what happens when you plant. I was talking with Robin. He came up to me and he, he confessed. I'm going to use him as an example now. He confessed. He says, Pastor, I got my corn in the ground. He says, I got to confess. I've been out there digging my seed up. Right? Why? Because he wants to see if it's working. Come on, corn farmers. 
That's why you have pliers that have dirt on the wrong end. It's because you used the tail end of your pliers to dig up that seed to see if the root was going down. Because after just a few days in the ground at the right temperature, that seed busts loose and grows down. If it don't grow down, it ain't going to grow up. And you just got to check it just in case. Amen? It's never going to stop. Now, I know that I'm, I'm, you know, preaching against standard, you know, northeastern Colorado farming here. But I just want to tell you something. You don't need to dig up your seed. God promised this will never stop. Now, let's put it in a negative context for just a second. When you plant inappropriately, you need to pay attention to the fact that God said this won't stop. Whatsoever you sow, you're going to reap. Okay, and you can say, oh, I'm just going to depend on God to, 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 be, to be gracious to me. You're going to reap what you sow. Amen? Let me take this another step forward. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will be here. Okay, turn with me, if you will, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Isaiah, chapter 55. Like I said, at one point, when I found this, it was a great revelation for me. And what I found was that many people misinterpreted this common passage of scripture. Let me read it to you. Begin reading if you would or watching with me in verse number 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I was always taught that God's thoughts are so high they're beyond knowing. But that isn't what this teaches. He says, Nor are my ways your ways. I was always taught that I would always miss God's ways because they were just beyond finding out. He says in verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, do you know that he just explained to us how we can understand his thoughts? If you try to understand God's thought with an earthly way, You'll never understand. He said, as the heaven are higher than the earth. What did he just say? He said, my thoughts are heavenly. If you don't start there, you'll never have anything to work with here. He didn't say his ways are beyond finding out. He says they're higher. In positionality and thought process, God thinks differently than we do, but it's not beyond finding out. Notice he says, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. What did he say? He said, my ways come from heaven. If you'll find those ways, you can operate on earth in his ways. Look what he says. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Same thing. See, how did, how did the writer of Genesis, how did Noah know, and Moses is the writer, but how did he know that God said something in his heart? I mean, the Bible says, and God said in his heart, how do they know that? How can they write that to us? Why don't we just, you know, play the goofball card and say, there's no way he knew what was in the heart of God. Unless this is true. See, when you crash land your boat on a mountain, after 40 days and 40 nights, rain and you know, flood and all that kind of stuff and all this stuff going on. And you crash land your boat because the water's falling away. I'm not sure you know what to do next. How do you know what to do? 
So he sacrificed. He connected with what he knew God had already put in place. He'd already put that in place. See, when man's, right, come on now, okay, Cain and Abel and one of them gave the first fruits and the other one gave whatever was left over and, and God didn't like one of them. Okay, that was carried on by oral tradition for a few hundred years. They knew what God liked. And so here's the picture. Verse 11, verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, what did he just say? He said, winter and summer shall not cease. See, the two things are tied together. In the same way that we know that around here it's going to occasionally snow and around here it's going to occasionally rain. He says, as you understand this, he's trying to show you how to understand the heavenly ways by using natural ways. But as long as you're cursing out what he said that he would never cease, you have a little trouble grabbing a hold of it. He says, the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth. He says, now listen, when this happens, that rain and that snow has a purpose and it waters the earth. It makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This is the first place in the Bible where we begin to see as we look into heaven that God separates what he provides for you to eat and what he provides for you to sow. You don't find that other places. He separates it. Why? Because he wants to be first in our life. He wants to be first in our life. He's asking us to give the first part to him. He says, I give seed to the sower. He doesn't say, I give you an opportunity to sow whatever's left after you're done eating the stuff I give you. He wants you to connect first. Do you see it? This will never cease. You can expect for God to follow after his word. But he expects for you to follow his word. Do you see it? So you can't give second best to God and say, God, I did it. No, you didn't. You actually sowed out of order, right, from what God planned. You say, well, but pastor, you don't understand. Listen, stop arguing with me. These are not my words. I did this when I was first born again and first going into ministry. <laughs> and we went into a really small church. The first time we were in that church, there were, I think, seven men, seven or nine, I don't remember, what, seven men, and they were all the men in the church were on the governing board. Well, that meant if they were all married, and I think they all were, that means there were 14 adults in the church. Some of them had kids, right? And they're voting to close the church. And I'm sitting there. They called the pastor of this church and said, do you have anybody that can help us? And they said, well, we think Glenn can help you. And so then the pastor of this church, Brian Severance, called me and said, Glenn, would you go help this little church in, in, in uh, Imperial? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, I'll give him your number. And so I got a call from that church. And I sat there with this message in my heart, this message in the understanding of blood covenant. That's all I preached. Because <laughs> I kind of all I knew. <laughs> I'm, I'm so much more rounded and developed now. I know so much more. <laughs> These 
are the things that are never, never going to stop. He says it'll make it bring forth, middle of verse 10, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower. How many of you need some seed to sow? How many of you are hungry when you get your seed? <laughs> you got to make a choice. He said seed, time, and harvest never going to cease. God gives us seed. For what? To sow. If you don't process this right, you say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. God knows how much trouble I'm having. No, God knows how much intent he has to bring you out of that trouble. See, we think God understands everything we're going through. He understands how to get you out of what you're going through. He said, these things will never stop. And I'm just telling you, I can't do anything about whether or not it rains. I mean, not technically. And whether summer comes, and I know someday here, in the not too many distant months here, a couple of months, it's going to be 100 blazing degrees outside. And you all are going to come in here, and some of you, I can see it already. You have whatever you got in your purse or around there, you'll have your thing. You'll be fanning yourself. It's really hot. And then, and then some of you will be looking around to see who brought a jacket. So you could cover up because you came out of 100 degree heat and, and it's, it's 70 degrees in here and it's too dang cold. Come on, how many ever complained about the temperature of the church? Make it bud and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Notice the order. You must sow before you eat. So shall my word be. What did he just do? He told us what the seed was. My word that goes forth from my mouth. See, it's the same as Genesis chapter 8 when it was reported that God said in his heart. See, if you'll get that in the 20th, 21st verse, wherever that is there in Genesis chapter 8, and you'll recognize that they understood how God's heart worked in that moment in time. And now he's telling you the same thing here. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He's always speaking. You have to work really hard to ignore God. He's always talking. Some people say, I don't ever hear God's voice. I say, how hard do you have to work to ignore him that much? He's always talking. He said, well, I don't believe that. That's why you don't hear him. Come on, men. How many of you have been somewhere in the house and heard your wife's voice, but you didn't really respond because you weren't sure what she was saying? Amen. I've done that. My wife, I love her dearly, but she has a tendency every once in a while to say something and turn and walk away a little bit because she's on a mission. And so then I'm following her, trying to figure out, what does she say? And does she want me to do something? I heard her voice, but I didn't hear it. I didn't hear what she wanted, right? And so you got to go back. Well, that's the way it is with God. you got to work really hard. In fact, when God's talking, you've got to turn and go the other way so you can ignore him. See, if we would get away from this idea that God's hard to hear, you can't believe what he would do in your life. I mean, you still have the option of obedience, right? God tells you to do something and you decide that, 
Well, not today am I going to be obedient that way. So shall my word, verse 11 says, be that goes forth from my mouth. Notice it says, it will not return to me void. It will not return to me. Where does God's word return to? Him. What's he looking for when it comes back up? That it accomplished what pleases him. What's his purpose in saying that? So that we can connect and cooperate. This never stops. It never ceases according to the, according to the Bible. Notice it says, it shall not return to me void, empty, useless. But it shall accomplish what I please. When God speaks inside of his word is the pleasing fruit that he intends to do. Now don't miss this. Because what happens is, we think he speaks so that we can be pleased. We choose the fruit that we want. How many of you have ever recognized that God is more interested in your character development than your comfort? And so occasionally what God does is develop your character before he tries to make you comfortable. Because character is way more important than comfort. The ability to stand with the mark that is left when you meet with God. That's what character is, right? It's actually an engraving term in the Bible. Okay? So if you've got a piece of decent jewelry, if you'll look where the clasp is, okay? Or on, if the, by the clasp, there's a little hanging down thing. They will have put a mark on there that tells you what carat the gold is. Or how that was, it's called the character. And they give it a character. If you've ever had fine china and you turn it over, the character is represented there. Right? It'll say, this is, you know, bone china. And that's what it's made out of. Bone. Okay? And, and you, you, those, are, those are character marks. So when you meet with God, he leaves a character mark. Now listen, if God comes at you with a hammer and a little thing that looks a little bit like a nail, he just wants to leave a mark that says he's been there. What do we think he's going to do? Well, we deserve to die and he's coming with a hammer. (laughs) You know, ah, don't kill me, God. He wants to leave a mark representing the character that he left by meeting with you. That makes sense? See, a lot of times we don't realize, and how many of you know, you can see the character mark in other people's lives. Because they'll live out of that mark. When our brother came and wanted to pray for us, you all know our story. I mean, we're praying for our own family. We want things to go right. And our daughter-in-law's got a, a, a cancer that's now back for the second time. And God hadn't lost his strength yet, so we'll just chase it away the same time we did the last time. But anyway, we're still working on that. And I'm just telling you right now, it is absolutely no fun. People go through stuff and God leaves a mark on you. And probably, not that we're doing it perfectly well, but you all recognize the character mark that God's leaving. I mean, you know we're we're leaving after church today. We'll spend a week up there. I'll drive the little rugrats to school and, you know, do fun things like that. Wait for them to get home so I can beat on them. 
you know, wrestle them. Listen, everybody needs a grandpa like me. I'm pretty sure of it. I'm pretty sure that's how God made me. Notice he says here, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. Now, that's the first step. It accomplishes what God pleases, but you don't recognize it because you're not pleased by what he's doing in your life. Then it says, and it shall prosper. It shall prosper. It'll increase. It'll show fruit in the thing for which he sent it. Now, let me point out to you that God will send things through the word to us. We can both hear it or we can all hear it, but God will be working in different areas in us because he intends to do things in us individually. So, for an example, if what we're going through today, Tracy and I going through with our family today, it's potentially possible that you all will have a similar experience. Some of you will, where where you just have to stand with someone who's going through a really terrible time. And you'll say, how do you do it? And you'll say, I don't know, but my pastor and his wife did it. We don't know what we're doing. The intent of God is to prosper in the thing that he sent it for. You go through these things to receive the mark and to receive the prosperity that God intends to come out of it. Let me say it to you again. You go through it to receive the mark of character and to receive the prosperity that heaven lines up for you based on what God said. Are you with me? You say, well, how, how, do, you, how do you know that's happening? Because I can see it. Okay. We will eventually get to the place where we start talking about provision. Provision is literally before sight. Okay. So you say, well, how do you do that? Because I can see myself walking through it. I can see myself. In that situation, I have the before sight. Nothing has happened yet in my life, but I can see it happening. I can see myself getting stronger through what I go through. I see Jesus putting a character mark on me. By the way, the character mark announces to the devil what you're no longer tempted by. (laughs) When that one soaks in, you go, oh, I'm glad Pastor Glenn told me that. The devil won't attack you in areas that make you more like Jesus. That's not what he wants. And so when God says, bam, here's your, here's your character mark. And the devil goes, okay, we got to give up on that little plan right there. This church has a character mark of prosperity. I deal with pastors all the time. And I just want to just announce right now, I am so beyond blessed to be here. Because you all put in the work before I ever got here. I've been here a long time, but you put in the work. You started. I didn't do this. You heard from God, and God began to put character marks on many of your lives. And now, you don't give because the church needs money. You give because God owns everything you have, and he's asked you to. Not because, well, we've got to give to the church. Why? Do you think God's going to get angry? He's not going to get angry. He wants it to prosper in the thing he sent it for. If you don't sow your seed, you don't get any harvest. Sorry. You say, 
But pastor, I can't afford it. If you don't sow, you don't get a harvest. Don't tell me what you can't afford to do. I mean, many of you guys have an agroeconomy business type connection. Many of you are farmers. I just want to tell you that when you put your seed in the barn and go out and look at your dirt, you've missed an important step. Not a farmer in here leaves his seed in the barn. And they don't go out and look at the dirt until the seed's in the ground. Why? Because they expect a harvest. See, that's why God uses this kind of language to us. He says, as the, as the rain and the snow come down and waters and produces, so shall my word be. And it'll not return to me void. And it'll produce the things that I sent it for to prosper in. Are we together? Now, a lot of times what happens when we get to talking along this way is somebody gets scared. That what if I make a mistake? What if I expect too much out of God? Let me point something out to you. The Bible says in two places in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3 says that he will do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can think. Well, now, how is it you can overexpect again? Explain that to me. And if prosperity is so bad, why doesn't God pour it out on everybody and just stand there and wait for people to sin? See, when, when Satan gets involved, he'll get you to thinking, well, that's not possible. And, and listen, that's selfish. You are selfish if you don't believe for more than you can have, more than you can handle, because you want to be able to give into everybody else's needs. Well, amen. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9 says, But it is written, underline this in your Bible, just the word I, Eye has not seen. No, you, you can't do it with your eyes. Ear, underline, ear, you, can't, you can't hear it from talking to yourself. Nor have entered into the heart of man. He took all that soulish stuff and he says, you can't begin to see it, to hear it, to imagine it. What God has prepared, and notice the, the, the time frame of this, has prepared, meaning past tense, which means he wasn't looking and waiting for us to get our life together. He prepared for us in advance. So shall my word be that comes down out of heaven. He prepared for us in advance. He said, seed time and harvest is never going to end. I prepared for you in advance. It's never going to cease. I prepared that for you in advance. This is never going to stop. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 6. Let me show you the last part of this. I have six sermons written in this series already. And as is my experience with a loving God, is the one I wanted to preach likely will be last. Because if you don't understand the principles of it, if you don't understand that God said in his heart, this is what I intend to do. And he says, it's never going to cease. If you don't see the never ceasing part and the fact that you can't change summer to winter, you can't change day to night, you can't change warm to cold, you cannot do that, but you can affect all of those things by understanding the season you're in and sowing and reaping in the right way. It's the only one that we have any influence on. 
Notice in Galatians chapter 6, it says in verse number 7, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Deception corrupts your cooperation. Deception corrupts your cooperation. So much of the time, we think we know what needs to be done, but we're deceived. And he says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. If a man reaps, next verse, please. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Now again, if you don't pay attention when God gives you a seed where you sow it, when you sow it into the flesh, it will produce by God's design corruption. So you can actually give expecting to get what you think the word says, but because you gave it out of a greedy heart, you'll plant it in the soil of flesh and you'll get a corrupted harvest. God will have to deal with your greed by giving you a mark of character. Notice it says, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. What's our man sows, that shall he reaps. For if he sows to his flesh, will of the flesh. Notice that the flesh reproduces. Now we're going to see in the weeks to come that where you put your seed is pretty important because the Bible says when you sow the seed, how be it a man goes to sleep and wakes up and the soil reproduces by itself, but we don't understand it. He says, listen, the soil is important. You want to give into soil that's been marked by character. There's a lot of fields between here and my house. And I watched, and recently somebody on one side, they pulled out in there with a big old implement and this huge four-wheel drive tractor, and they're just tearing the thunder out of that ground. I mean, it, stuff's turning over and dust is flying and corn shucks and things are going in the air, and this guy's just driving. What is he doing? And God said, he's marking the soil. See, it takes a certain level of character to do what you know to be, that you know that needs to be done so that you can receive what you know God has promised. See, there's a character issue there. He said, well, I'm just going to sit back. You know, God says I can rest in him. Rest is a position of trust, not a position, position of inactivity. And so anyway, you've got to trust. And he says, he who sows, look in the middle of verse number eight, but he who sows to the spirit. Now notice he says that the soil is affected by the perception of the spirit's location. I hope I can get this to you. The spirit of God will enlighten you to where you need to sow into the spirit. He'll enlighten you by his presence and where you need to sow. When you get that, you'll be sowing into the spirit. God doesn't need your money. He needs you, money or whatever it is. He needs you to cooperate with his seed time and harvest. You need to put it in the right soil. There, you, you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to trust me on this one until I can, till I can. Make it bigger. He sows the Spirit will of the Spirit. Notice that the Spirit then, because of your cooperation with it, the Spirit produces or you reap from the Spirit everlasting life. What did he say? He said when you plant the, sow, the seed, 
When you plant the seed where I intend you to sow it, the, the intent is eternal life. What does that mean? It means a reproducing and consistent eternity, never stopping, consistent and, and, and never stopping return that God has for you. It just keeps turning over and over and over and over. You'll, re, you'll reap eternal things from it. Notice it says in verse number nine, and let us not grow weary. Why would he have to tell that to us? Because there are times where we get tired of doing what's right and not seeing what we know God promised. We get tired. I've already prayed, God. I'm tired. Listen, listen, listen. If you're tired in general, it's because you're depending on flesh because grace never makes you tired. So you say, well, I'm tired. That's because you're trying to do it yourself. Well, I'm tired standing here. That's because you're trying to do it yourself. Grace will never make you tired. Grace is when God does it, right? Mercy is when God does it. Faith is when God does it. You say, well, I'm just tired of standing in faith. You're not standing in faith. You're standing in flesh. That's why you're tired. Amen. See, that deception corrupts our cooperation. Well, if we just work harder. All the devil wants you to do is to get busier. Okay? If you'll get busier, the cares of this world will get so big that you'll abandon the harvest that God promised you to have. You say, it's not in the Bible. Oh, yes, it is. Mark chapter 4, the third group of people that sow, he says, and they sowed, but the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world choke it out and it becomes unfruitful. That's what I just said. You get so busy, you get so caring that it chokes out the intended harvest that God has for you. You know what that means? It just means the weeds took over your garden. It means the weeds took over your garden. Did you plant the weeds? No. No, but the cares of this world overtook. Notice it says then in Galatians chapter 6 again, the, verse number uh, uh, 9, it says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season. What did God promise us would never cease? Seasons. Winter and summer. You're always in a season. It'll never end. Learn how to cooperate. Be patient when you're in winter. Don't plant your seed in winter. Plant it when God says to plant it. Springtime seems to be the thing. And it says in due season we will what? Reap. We'll harvest. All of us want to harvest, but we don't like the time involved with seed time and harvest. Are you learning? If your seed is sown into the flesh, the flesh will corrupt the harvest. If the seed is sown into the flesh, the flesh will corrupt its harvest. Boy, you need to see that. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, go ahead music team, let's move, I'm going to stop here. It says in 1 Peter chapter, two, chapter 1, verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. See, you were born again by this same seed that I've been talking. 
And that seed has been promised of God to produce a harvest that he intended for you. When you don't see it, it's because you corrupted it with your flesh. You've literally changed the ground by depending upon flesh to make it happen. In the weeks to come, we're going to keep touching on this. And you're going to see, I'll I'll bring in the provision stuff. You'll start to see how God promises and how God doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. And you'll begin to see that in the Bible and you'll say, wow, if I wish I'd have seen this before. Exactly what provision is. Before sight. Before sight. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you please? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you today for this time we've had. For how your word, Father, becomes clearer to us as we press in and see what you've called us to do in your word. How we see that you say it'll never cease. And we wonder... Why aren't, I, why, why aren't we seeing it? If it's never going to cease, why don't we see it? And then we realize that we didn't know what God's intent was. We didn't know what He was saying in His heart. We only had what we were saying. So Father, we thank You today that as we press in together, we will consistently and continually see Your heart and move forward in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.